0: Welcome to Camera Shake Podcast, episode 130, the podcast where we talk about photography, videography, and anything that's got anything to do with any of that. That being said, if you are listening to the audio version of this podcast, be reminded that there's a fully-fledged, fully technicolor version over on YouTube, if you're so inclined. Anyway, in today's episode, we have another awesome guest. It is the creative director, photographer, retoucher, compositor, artificial intelligence expert father to a cat called Miss Scraggles, and Krispy Kreme aficionado. Give it up for Micah Burke. Micah, man, how are you? Hey, I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Good to see you, man. Good to see you. Awesome. So uh, we've, just, we've just discovered that actually you're uh,
1: in an area of California that I know reasonably well. Yeah, I live. I live in. I actually live in the Central Valley in a place called Stockton, but I, I work and uh, do a lot of commuting into a place called Livermore, which is a, a beautiful little valley with uh, wineries and uh, uh, you know, upscale food restaurants and that sort of thing. So, uh, but I do a lot of my photography between Livermore and the, the Central Valley. There's this little stretch of road which is just gorgeous, and I can get a hundred different angles of the same sunset, and it's pretty awesome up there.
0: Yeah. it's. I've been admiring your landscape photography, which is fantastic. Um, it's. It has like a fantasy feel to it, almost.
1: Yeah. Several years ago, I took a class through... Um, uh, Trey Radcliffe had a uh, system set up where you could interview and, and work with mentors. And I was working with a photographer named Karen Hutton and sort of developed sort of this fantasy style that she really liked and, and sort of adopted and i don't have a lot of time to work on it anymore because i've got so much other things going on with ai and, and adobe max and that sort of stuff but um when i do photography when i do my photography i kind of like to add a little bit of art-, art to it um i'm not a journalistic photographer in any way shape or form i i, I like to uh, i like to play with my photos a lot and uh, i don't have any problem with with anybody doing that
0: yeah it's you know it's this thing um i think because there's this, this sort of old school of uh, thinking of like you got to get it right in camera and you know I say this all the time on this podcast, and and um, you know when I uh, when I hold, when I do talks, for instance, I, I try to bring that across. Is that you know, it's it's a little bit like a guitar and an amplifier, you know, an electric guitar and an amplifier. Like the the one one thing on its own doesn't make a lot of sense, but once you put them together, that's where the power lies, you know. And uh, and so indeed, and I, I think you know, post production is one of these things where um, where you can really not only bring a photo to life, but but really change the meaning of it and really become artistic and enhance the whole thing incredibly, which is, you know, which
1: is, of course, a real skill. Yeah, it takes time to learn. And uh, like, like anything, it takes time to practice. And uh, practice makes, makes it get better every time you do it. Um, and, you know, we... Getting things right in camera it is important, especially if you're looking for sharpness and you're looking for uh, clarity. Those things are real important to nail in, in, in camera. And then when you get it home, then you can kind of decide, hey, you know, this is a great photo, but it would be really cool if there was a giant moon behind it. And uh, <laughs> then you go and do that. Exactly, and you know, very often, I mean, more often than not,
0: I find that you know, it's, it's what I what I usually say is, you know, I, ha- I have to get it right in camera too. I have to get it right for the edit because I already know what the pros- what the post production steps are going to be. Um, I need to make sure I get what I need for the editing. I need to get that right in camera, so I also need to get it right in camera, it's just in a, in a slightly different way, I suppose. Yeah, I do. It's a it's a real skill, but of course, what we're going to talk about today is is where. You know the robot overlords are taking over, and artificial intelligence uh, has has been coming into the game massively over the last. I would say probably I don't know may, maybe over the last year, but it seems like over the last six months, um, it's it's really uh, it's really kind of skyrocketed. I'm just thinking about you know the uh, the AI that that most people will probably know from the latest Photoshop and Lightroom updates. You know, um, I mean, obviously things like uh, you know, content that where Frill has been around for a while. But I think most recently, it's like Photoshop has really kicked it out of the ballpark as far as as far as its ability of artificially creating the you know, aspects of the image is concerned.
1: Um, how how did you first get into the whole artificial intelligence thing? Yeah, so, you know, there's a little story behind that. And that's uh, back in uh, 2000, uh, 2020 when the pandemic hit. Uh, you know, sort of stuck at home, uh, not able to take photographs in my favorite places, and so I, uh, I was flying my drone quite a bit and taking pictures with my drone. Um, there's only so much you can do with that in the States before people threaten you. So, um, I started playing with an app called Wombo Dream, and Wombo Dream made these amazing full-color, colorful, um, images that uh, I can probably throw up here and I'll show you you're looking at here. I'll start. So, these are some of my photos from the past years that I've taken, some of my landscapes. Uh, Kind of give you an idea how I kind of want to draw some fantasy in there, but as I was saying, so in 2020 and early 2021, there wasn't a whole lot of photography I was able to do, so uh, I got this app called Wombo Dream and started playing with these prompts, and these are text prompts, and so you're typing things in. In this case, I was typing in um, uh, rainbow dancing dervish sorry or some other you know uh, ethnic uh, clothing and was coming up with these amazing very um stylistic images which i thought hey you know these are pretty cool you can do stuff with this i could see i could see taking this and maybe into illustrator and, and recreating them or taking them to photoshop and playing with them but as time progressed um i noticed that there was different ways you could manipulate the act do different things um so then i think uh, in twenty twenty one the Walwa Dream was creating these really neat stylistic images of of people and of artistic and uh, architecture. Uh, but it wasn't really doing anything like photographic. Uh, and I was really looking for something a little more a little stronger, a little more photographic, a little more up my alley, so to speak, as far as it goes. Um, and I found this program called Canvas by Nvidia. In um, Canvas is runs on Windows, but there's also a web app called Galgan2. And if you go and you search Galgan2, you'll find the app and it works just by painting on the screen and you tell it what you're painting. For example, in this case here, I'm painting, um, you know, this uh, sort of a field in front of an ocean and there's a road running down the middle of the field. And i tried to recreate uh, some images I saw when I was in uh, when I visited Ireland a few years ago. And I really wanted to kind of recreate sort of that, that feeling the Irish coastline. And um, sure enough, it does a really good job. And it's producing them at about um, 1024 by 1024. And they're fairly photographic looking, and you could upscale them with say topaz or whatever, and they kind of look really good. So what we're what we're talking about here is really
0: sort of the next step from let's say you know, like content-aware fill or object selection in Photoshop where obviously the the software or the algorithm figures out, well, there's an object, you know, and I, this is the main subject of the image and this is what we're going to select, for example. Here we're really artificially creating an image from scratch by telling the app or, or the algorithm by using words
1: what it is that we want to see in the image. Exactly. Yeah. So, this is what's called in this ca- these cases. This is what's called in, in the parlance of the of, of artificial intelligence. This is called text to image. And so, you're literally typing in text that you want to see. Um, in the example of the the uh, the second image here on the screen, it's a it's a door, a doorway to another realm in a field of flowers. And this is what it created. And one of the cool things about the text-to-text uh, text-to-image uh, generators is that you can use entire sentences. You can add details about what you want to see. I want it to be a door covered in ruins or I want it to be um, a photograph by a certain photographer or uh, a painting by a certain painter. Um, you can come up with all sorts of wild and uh, neat creations this way. Um, the, uh, the Will Smith image there, I, I literally just typed in uh, Will Smith Slack into um, Mid-Journey, and that's what it produced now this was this was still early early 2020 uh, 2022 sorry after after that there's a uh, sort of a, a massive evolution just as you as you know in the, just the past year an explosion has occurred and what's happened is, is that companies like mid journey and stable diffusion uh, stability AI and the company who makes uh, Dolly 2 which is open AI they've added a lot of detail and information into their uh, their platforms uh, adding more and more and more tagged images to produce even more realistic images so back in about September of 2022 both midjourney and stable diffusion uh, released new updates which rather than creating these kind of cool artistic images which you might want to play with actually started creating, Photo realistic images out of the box and that's so, that's the thing i think that was the
0: thing that blew that blew our minds like a few a couple of months ago when uh you know when dally you know dally was big in the news um and I, re- I remember seeing some of the some of the photorealistic results and that just completely blew my mind at the time
1: yeah these these four results here that i'm showing um these were all right out of mid-journey these were very simple prompts um yeah. Get a whole series of little action figures. And you can see it looks like a three-dimensional object, and it's got depth of field. And again, you tell tell the again, you tell the AI what you want to see and it will produce it. And I was uh, starting to composite images together. At the time, I had been asked by Russell Brown, who's the uh, creative director at Adobe, to make some movie posters for an, an upcoming uh, presentation he was to do at the Adobe Knox class. And so I was looking for uh pictures of um stars like Keanu Reeves and these other people dressed as Vikings. And you can literally type in um someone's name like Benedict Cumberbatch and as a Viking and you'll actually get him dressed as a Viking. It's it's pretty insane the what you can do with it. Yeah, That's incredible. I mean I saw I saw your uh series of of photos of like a late night show hosts
0: as uh, so like action yeah. figures,
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I did a whole series. I called it. I called it Real Heroes. I did little kids as action yeah. figures, and then I did a series of sort of late night talk show hosts as action figures because uh, I I had seen. I think it was uh, Jimmy Kimmel was mentioning that somebody was using his image as uh, as a prompt in in, in journey or in Dolly, and they were coming up with some interesting stuff. But it, it wasn't that great. And so I'm like, no, you could do you could do anything with this. Um, but I think most people know that we. We're using AI more and more in almost every day activities, especially within ph- photography and Photoshop. Um, for example, you know the the new content aware object selection in, in Photoshop. That's using AI to determine sort of the boundaries of things. And then there's there's applications like Topaz Gigapixel, which are actually able to take an image that's low resolution and blow it up yep. using uh, artificial intelligence. And Topaz sharpening as well. In fact. Yeah, Topaz is sharpening AI is pretty slick. I love the yeah. uh, I love the motion blur cleanup because uh, <laughs> just when you thought you got that shot and you get it home and you're looking at it, and you're going, "Well, I missed the focus." You can that... you can bring it back pretty good. I that saved
0: a project of mine recently. Where one of the critical shots that the client wanted, you know, I looked at it on the screen and I'm like, "Oh, damn it, that's it's 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 so it's so soft. I can't deliver that." And and then I went like, "Wait a minute." Topaz sharpening. Let's just give that a shot. And it, I mean, I, I kid you not. I mean, it,
1: it took three minutes. I think. Yeah, it, it's pretty impressive what you can do with it. Yeah, I, yeah. I definitely agree That this. It, it's it's amazing. I think, um, you know, and just sort of give everybody sort of an overview of what we're talking about, because we're going to start talking about how it kind of corresponds with Photoshop, and that's really pretty quick. Um, just to kind of give you an idea, most of these are using what's called a, a generative adversarial network and it's a pretty straightforward process where you take uh, the idea, like a cat, you take a bunch of images of cats, and you just pound in these into a database along with um, uh, sort of tagged information of what you're seeing, what kind of cat it is, what sort of the position it's in, et cetera. All of that information gets tagged together into the database. Um, it's then you take two separate versions of the database, and you let them fight it out over once a cat. And the one that wins goes on to continue this sort of process of elimination until you get a better and a better and a better uh, model. Um, and that's sort of what um, Galgan and Canvas use. And it works real well for landscape images and sort of general images. It's not real good on people and that sort of thing. Um, Dolly 2 is using something called Clip, which sort of the same system. Lots of images of critters, lots of images of skateboards. We're going to throw those all into the database. And it's going to go and generate, based on that data, what your new image is. For example, you want a cat on a skateboard. Well, you don't necessarily have to put a picture of a cat on a skateboard into the database. You just have to put a cat and skateboards. And it knows how to position the cat. It knows how to do all of this. And it will create the cat on the skateboard for you. And it's sort of mind-blowing when you can type in, you know, anything and, and get some good results. So... That's sort of the basic, the way how it works. Let's see if I've got anything. Uh, I I should show you this last last slide here because it's kind of important. So the new method, those are sort of older generative methods. The newest method is what's called diffusion. And that's where we get stable diffusion. Um, And this is where you hear the word diffusion. And what this literally means is, and we've all done this. We've all played with this as photographers, at least those of us in Photoshop, take an image and then turn it into just complete noise, right? Uh, Just continue to add noise, and add noise, and add noise to that image until it's obliterated. Well, in this case, what happens is a computer will do this, and then it learns to back that image up from the noise back to the original image by adding detail, adding detail, adding detail, and it can generate a brand new cat from other images of cats. So this cat never existed, this cat does not exist, this is no one's pet. This pet, it's, you know, it's, uh, there's some websites out there, you know, this beach does not exist, or this person does not exist, well, this cat does not exist. Um, it's a completely generated creature. Um, and it's it's based on this diffusion method. So that's how mid-journey and stable diffusion kind of uh, work together. Um, so that's kind of the, the basics of AI imaging and and how it works. We could probably uh, talk some more about other aspects here. yeah, I mean, what's what's interesting is I mean, you mentioned
0: that um, a lot of those uh, algorithms or AIs really base uh, you know based their uh, the methods on um, you know, a vast array of, of imagery, like millions or even billions of, of different images that are being tagged and It analyzes stores, you know, uh, where
1: does it get those images from? So uh, as a lot of people may have noticed, sometimes if you're using this, uh, one of these AI generators and you type in an image, you'll actually look at an image and you'll actually see watermarks um sort of faded into the image. And so it tells you that it's pulling them from the internet. And it's pulling these images um, and the information tagged a lot of times directly from the internet. And there's an options here, but just for just for general, most of them are you pulling them directly from the internet or from a sort uh, of a survey, uh, collated database of, of images that are tagged and ready to go. Um, it definitely has in the past um, slanted towards... Uh, royalty-free images on the internet that had you know watermarks and stuff and you could always pull them up with watermarks um but kind of to give to give some clarity because i'm I'm sure a lot of people are wondering you know rather than if if you and i wanted to composite an image together we would take different images from different people and we would cobble those images together in photoshop and the original photographer might be able to go back and go, "Hey, that's my cat," or "That's my, you know, that's my bicycle," and you've just composited it into your image. Well, these are not really doing that, and it's and it's a clarification I think that's important because there's some artists and there's some photographers out there who feel like their or the works being sort of stolen for this project, these projects, and to some extent it is, but it's as if, and and there's a lot of caveats here, but it's as if. I was to buy all of the photos in the world and place them on my wall, decide which ones I wanted to simulate, and then create my own image based on those. So you don't really, you're not really copying the image or the styles per se. Um, So it's not like there's there's elements of the image, your image in this image. It's a completely new and original image, utilizing the style that that you've asked it to do. So it's 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 a quandary but it, it, and there's definitely ethical issues here, but just sort of cut off the copyright issue right there. I'm not Good. talking about copying someone's property
0: it's i mean it's i think you could probably liken it to if you went to an art gallery and you studied all the you know the great painters of the past, and then you you take that knowledge, you've been looking at all of those images and all those pictures and paintings. And then you go and you create an image in the style of Dalí, let's say, for argument's sake. I think that's probably a similar a similar thing because you haven't really you haven't stolen anything or you haven't like either, nicked nicked any, anybody. You haven't nicked, you haven't like stolen Dalí's painting, um, but you just recreated something in that style. I can imagine that stock photography in the future will be more of a thing where it you literally just generate artificially generate the image that you're looking for. Like let's say if it's like, you know. I don't know, um sunrise over the Buckinghamshire countryside with mist on a winter morning or something like that.
1: Yep. Uh, that's how sort of this sort of developed for me um in doing posters and images for the Adobe Max class for Russell Brown, um I was wanting very specific images. I wanted a sort of Norwegian forward, a snow on the top with sort of water, you know, at a certain level. And I was having a real hard time going through Adobe stock looking for those images, and I didn't find what I was looking for. So on a whim, I decided to go into uh, Mint Journey, just type in the prompt, and I started getting amazing images right out of the box. And I'm like, this is perfect, I'm ready to go. I just needed to upscale them a bit and then throw them into the posters. And so I provided all of those images to the to the people who attended the class to use in their own in their own images. And so we created all of these movie posters using those images, and uh, it turned out pretty good. Um, I also did create a whole series of you know uh, Hollywood stars dressed as Vikings, and then composited them together as well. <laughs> awesome! Wicked! I've got to tell, uh... I, I always thought I always thought that Brian Cranston would look great as a as a Viking king with a big orange yeah. helmet.
0: <laughs> awesome. They should they should reshoot all of Breaking Bad just like that. <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm all for it, man. <laughs>
0: yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, um, yeah. Breaking Bad in uh, 800 AD. <laughs> Love breaking <it>. really bad. <laughs> yeah, breaking <laughs> really bad. <laughs> oh man, I've got to, I've got to talk to uh, Dave Williams about this because he's uh, you know he's he's embarking on a on a trip to uh, to the Arctic to take to mainly to take photographs um what of that might be you know it might be
1: unnecessary in the future you can just generate them <laughs> yeah who wants to freeze themselves to death just just generate them and, and say I went to the Arctic and yeah, here they are right exactly so you can even add a polar bear here or a penguin over there depending yeah. on which which side which side you're on yeah
0: yeah and he could put he can copy okay. himself in it's just as, as proof that, that could... he was
1: there <laughs> yeah I mean there's some some pretty amazing things you could do with this um so yeah I definitely think that would be that would be useful and since seeing Dave at the uh, Adobe Max and getting, getting to know him and work with him on, on the projects yeah uh, he makes a pretty pretty compelling Viking too so all dressed up I've got pictures of him in full makeup and gear all ready to go
0: yeah yeah I saw I saw some of that online um, I have to say um, yeah I like the haircut <laughs> specifically I saw well I saw him um, just after he got back from
1: Adobe Max and he still had the hair so yep yeah I I uh he looked uh he looked pretty good so it was it was good seeing everybody there and it sort of it was a great springboard he was able to produce a lot of different things so let's see if i have i might be able to bring up one of my posters here from the adobe max class and kind of give everybody an idea of what we're talking about um yeah so the, the whole screen. project
0: was really uh based around vikings but the saga of yeah, the source so... is it
1: yeah so every year um we do a different uh sort of a different theme um you know we did a japanese theme we did a manga anime theme we did sort of kaiju with giant monsters um we did hollywood monsters one year so this year um we wanted to kind of go with something that wasn't uh too ethnic in some way and, and go with vikings uh the last time i went we did uh Aztecs and Egyptians, and they, they really mesh real well, sort of a day of the dead. Um, unfortunately, some people weren't, weren't overly thrilled with that, but uh, I, I really enjoyed that. I thought it worked real well together. But this year we decided to go with Vikings. And uh, here's the composite image uh, I did with the Vikings, uh, Russell Brown there in the center. But just so everybody knows, everything except the people in this image is AI generated. The background, the waves, the rocks, all of that is generated with, with AI. And then composited it into this image um and it, it worked really good and i've got this poster hanging on my wall and it's it's a huge you know 40 40 by 30 image it's a very yeah. large poster
0: yeah i mean it seems it seems like you know i, I really it's the future when it comes to
1: compositing
0: um
1: you know in general i think yeah i think there's a, i think there's going to be a lot a lot of uh a lot of advancement. And in talking with the Adobe engineers this year at Adobe Max, and I have to be careful how much I say, because I think some of them are still under NDA, but they're taking a very slow measured approach. Um, and they did mention during the, the uh, Adobe Max keynotes that they were taking a very slow approach to this, um, considering the ethical issues that were involved. Um, one of the things that they were talking about is they were concerned that they wanted to make sure people could tell what was a real image and what was what was generated. Um, and, and I see this as an issue coming up, as you know, in, here in the US and probably, you know just about right everywhere, there's, there's sort of an issue with fake news going on. Uh, and I was playing with Mid Journey the other day and you can generate very realistic images, say from the 1970s of things happening that didn't happen. Um, and so one of my concerns is that um, I follow, I follow some folks online who sort of debunk UFO experiences and I'm always interested on how people are, uh, they see an image and as soon as they see the image, their brain creates a whole story around the image and adopts that story as being, you know, the truth. Well, and, and we've seen this especially in the, in the political cycles in the US, we'll, we'll get a 20 second clip of, a, of an event and we're all basing everything upon that 20 second clip. And that very 20-second clip is a very narrow ga- narrow view of what happened. We don't see what's going on over here. We don't see what's going on over here. We only see what happened here for those 20 seconds. So it's easy to say in those 20 seconds that this was a bad thing or this was, this was not a good thing that happened. But once you get the full scope, you might see, you know, this is not necessarily what happened. But going back to the UFO things, we'll see a picture of uh, somebody. Recently, there was a, a person who was... Shooting a video through an airplane window, and there's an object that moves across the screen very quickly, and everybody's like, "Oh, this is a UFO. It's clearly a super fast UFO." Well, what you don't know is that the image was a time lapse image, that it's probably got night vision on there, or it's it's, it's a long exposure, and so everything's streaking across the image. Um, and once you slow this image down, you go, "That's just another plane about a thousand feet away, moving in a you know in the opposite direction." So it looks like it's moving extremely fast. Well, in the same way, I think with AI, um, we're going to be able to generate things that never happened. Um, you can create very realistic images with AI, and and I'm concerned that, in you know, one of the other ethical issues is that we'll be able to generate fake history that will uh, will influence people.
0: Yeah, and that's I mean, there, there is a moral side to this, uh, and of course, you know, it, that's a discussion that's been uh, that's been sort of going on in, you know, in in photo retouching for quite some time, you know, when we're talking about, yep. for instance, you know, elongated necks and, you know, changed body proportions and, you know, elongated legs and all, all the rest of it. Um, and the way that that affects children teenagers, teenagers um, in, in the way that they, you know, think of their own bodies, for example, that's been a discussion that's been going on for, for a good few years. And, and I, I think, and anybody who's listening, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I believe that the EU has actually passed a law that at least certain countries in the EU or something have passed a law um, that basically uh, that basically means that if you know if an advertising if a company uses those kind of advertising images they need to clearly they, made, they need to basically make it clear that this is this has been a photoshopped image essentially that's that's what it is. Um, but I tell you what, before we go into that, I forgot one thing because uh, one thing that I, that we like to do on this show is uh, we like to shout out uh, we like to give some listeners a shout out. So this week's listener that i want to give a shout out to is brit o'neil she sent me a really nice uh, message um on instagram i believe uh, she's a portrait wildlife and landscape uh, photographer in ireland and had a look at your images brit they're freaking fantastic um, i'm going to put the um, i'm going to put your um instagram handle in the description of this video people check that out uh brit o'neil fantastic uh wildlife images there anyway Britt, thanks for listening um again if you're listening out there um or if you're watching this video and um if you want to get in touch, you can do that on Instagram. Uh, it's at Camera Shake Podcast. Uh, we're also on Twitter, although who knows how long for because we don't know what's happening with Twitter. Um, it's at Shake Camera. Uh, you can also hit us up uh, in our Facebook group if you check out facebook.com forward slash group uh, Camera Shake Podcast. Um, that's really where we have a little community going. So, you know, it's up there. Anyway, Britt, well done. Cool. Um, yes. So. Um, where were we? Photoshop retouching again. That's you know that's been a discussion that's been going on for for some time. Um, I can see how AI is going to take that to a whole different level. Indeed,
1: yes. I I, I definitely think there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of changes. Um, and like I said, I was talking with the Adobe team. I did see some of their upcoming plans, and they are going to be eventually uh, integrating uh, sort of generative imagery in their system soon. Um, there's already some with the neural filters, although yeah. it's, it's still fairly limited. Um, I played with their, they have a, if you download the beta, they have a background generator, um, which is generative, uh, although I thought it was extremely limited. But yeah. it is sort of, a, sort of a peek into what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, so the but neurof- if
1: people want...
0: Go ahead. Yeah, so the, the neural filters, I was going to say, um, I, I find them quite fascinating. They have also improved over the last year or so quite dramatically. Yeah. Um, in fact, you know, I did a... I did a job the other day um, where I was reconstructing a black-and-white photo that was very heavily damaged. Um, and it was, you know, the client had a photo of their, I think, I believe it was their grandparent or something, um, which was like a, a World War II photograph, you know, black-and-white photograph. Um, and I, you know, I basically cleaned it up, um, and then I gave them a colorized version of it, which actually was, I have to say, The result was phenomenal. I mean, it it literally made that, you know, it just made that person come alive on that old black and white photo. And uh, I think they were really very, very impressed and taken aback as to how realistic that looked, you know. And I I remember using. That is. Sorry. I I just say I I remember using that particular neurofilter like about a year ago, and the results weren't
1: by any stretch of the imagination anywhere near where they are now. Yeah, there's the there's also in the newest version of Photoshop there's the photo restore which is is pretty good as far as uh, yes. fixing faces and taking uh, scratches and dust out of an image. Um, I think it's a little aggressive on how it does it, and it, it's really aggressive on the face, and it's less aggressive on the rest of the image. Um, I think as as time gets better, as time goes by, it's going to get better and better. Um, and I, I think it's going to be really useful. Um, yeah. I... I it's interesting, though, if folks are interested in getting sort of generative uh, technology in Photoshop now, there are a couple of options already available um, apart from Adobe. For example, there's the um, Stable Diffusion plugin by Chris Christian Cantrell. Uh, it's a free plugin. Uh, you do have to have an account with uh, Stability AI and with Dolly, too, to use this if you're interested. Um, there's also another plugin by a company called Flying Dog, and it's actually pretty good. They're both actually really good, uh, for what they're doing. Um, there's still some hiccups since this is all still sort of, uh, cutting edge stuff, so it's kind of fun to use, and I can demonstrate those at, at some point. Um, but if anybody wants to sort of jump into this, you can go right to, uh, Dolly's website, which is, uh, I think it's openai.com, or to, uh, Stability AI's website, and, and just start playing with it and, in and learning how this works. And, Think about all the things that you would put into an image, whether it's uh, you know the, the lens size you're using, the aperture that you're going to be using, the uh, the color grading you want to put into the image, whether you want a cool tone or a warm tone, uh, and then everything you want about the image. Do you want it just to be a, a journalistic style, or do you want it to be an epic photo with cinematic lighting? You can add those terms all into your uh, into your text prompt, and you'll come up with some amazing amazing imagery. Um, Mid-Journey, which is one of the uh, generative products, is runs through an application called Discord, which uh, maybe folks know, but Discord is a uh, it's sort of a chat application. And it allows you to um, interact directly with the uh, Mid-Journey system through this chat application. And as you can see, I've been playing with it a little bit here today. Um, this is a, a fantastic example. So I'm going to tell the, the bot to imagine, um, and let's go, and I like kind of the Dutch angle. It doesn't really get the Dutch angle there, did it? Uh, but we'll just go, let's try an epic photo of uh, Nor... I'm stuck on... I'm stuck on uh, Vikings, sorry, Norwegian. Someone's going to tell me I was spelling things wrong. Fjord with snow cabbed mountains. We'll go uh, cinematic lighting. We'll go 16 millimeter, 44 megapixel... Now, that doesn't mean it's actually going to make the image 44 megapixel, but it's just going to add extra detail. And uh, detail helps if you spell correctly. And there are other things I can do to this prompt to get certain aspect ratios and that sort of thing. But right now, I'm just going to let it run. So Mid-Journey just upgraded to what's called version 4. And version 4 is a new model incorporating billions of images. And so it's got a very strong uh, image base that it's it's pulling from. And the images are quite photographic generally. Now, I could have said painting instead of photo. And what would have happened is I would have gotten a uh, a more painted look. You can even use a specific artist's name as a reference to get a, a, a specific style if you're interested. So as you can see, this is our first our first step. This is the first step in creating the image. You can see it's a very blurry. And again, it remember, it's taking a blurry noise-filled image and it's gonna be ever increasing the, uh, the steps of which it's gonna be generating that image. So now it's gotten even better and even better. And then once it's done, we'll be able to take one of these images and blow it up or all four of them if we want. Here's our finished product. And these are these are pretty spectacular. So I actually like, um, I like them all. Well, I'll use this one in the bottom right here. So I'm gonna upscale, which is what I'm doing here with this button, this button U4. That's gonna upscale this number four. And so once it's upscaling it, it's gonna upscale it from the small, like 512 by 512. It's gonna upscale it to about uh, 1024, but actually it's, I think it's well, 2000 pixels by 2000 yeah. pixels. Um, I can then easily save this drag it into Photoshop, and go from there. So for those of you listening to the audio version of this, uh, I highly
0: recommend you hop over to uh, to YouTube to actually where you can actually see
1: uh, what's going on here <laughs> because it's absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah, it's pretty amazing to watch it generate the images. And with some of these, you can actually save sort of a movie. You can tell it to save a movie of the generation process, and you can actually see where it came from. Now, with all of these generative methods, for example, stable diffusion or Mid Journey or Dolly, there is something called a seed number. And that seed number is sort of the numerical equivalent of what that image is. And you can use that number to generate variations of that image over and over again. But here's my final image um, from Midjourney. I'm going to go ahead and open it up in save a copy of it. I'm going to save it to my downloads. We'll just go and drag that thing into let me get out of this. This is another image I was working on earlier today. Let's go grab that image. So what we're looking at here
0: is is basically an artificially created image of a Norwegian fjord with snow-capped mountains and a dramatic sky um, which for all intents and purposes I mean it really doesn't exist. That's that's the first thing to say is that that's not a place on the planet actually. It's just a Correct. Yeah. It's a creative, I mean, it's a bit like a painting, I guess. I mean, it's it's a it's a photorealistic interpretation of reality.
1: Yeah, and, and keep in mind, you know, I'm, I've got certain settings on my mid-journey right now that's making a little bit of a painterly look to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can kind of change that so it's a little less painterly and more realistic uh, image. We can even tell it to redo the same image in a different format. Um, we can even go back and tell it to use that same image and do it at a specific artist style. So once you have that image, um, once you have that image, once it say it's paused. you're still looking at... Sorry. Looks like you're still looking at my... I don't know why it's There we go. So we're going to switch over to Photoshop. And you can see I've opened the image in Photoshop now. And now I can even go in here in Photoshop and I can just start compositing it. Um, and... If we look and see what the size is, you can see it's a, a yeah, 1024 by 1024 in this image. So this is, so I brought the image into Photoshop, and you can see, we can go and see what the the image size is. Right now it's a 1024 by 1024. Um, as time progresses, this is going to get better and better. And of course, I, there's nothing keeping me from taking this and, and it's yeah, gigapixel and blowing it up even bigger. You it'll, it'll still look really, really good. Um, so that's that's mid journey, and that's sort of the mid journey process. As you go into Discord, you type in the prompt, you get the image out. Um, with Stable Diffusion and Dolly, it's similar. If you're going to use the web, and and maybe we should take a step back to kind of describe that process. There's mm-hmm. there's different ways for the user to access these different products. Um, all of them, for, well, okay, Stability. So Stable Diffusion and Dolly both have web apps that you can access. Um, let's see if I can share the web for this.
0: So it basically, it essentially means you go onto the website and all the computation takes
1: place in the cloud essentially. Correct, so with Dolly, uh, if you go to labs.openai.com, and you can type your prompt right here into this box, and it'll create whatever that image is. Uh-huh. Um, for stability, for Stable Diffusion, I think it's Stability AI. There's several different ones, um, but yeah, I, I find as far as it is quality goes, I find Mid Journey produces right now still some of the best output, um, and then Stable Diffusion. Is, a, is is just just on the heels of that and then Dolly for direct image output, I find is sort of behind the pack at this point. Dolly has a lot of go, a lot going for it. one of the coolest things with Dolly is the ability to take an image it's already existing and add to it. We can take our uh, epic forward here and you're seeing my screen okay? So we can go ahead and just add on to this epic forward here. So we'll just go epic photo of a Norwegian fjord. And we can tell it to generate. And it will just add to the image. So this is really useful. If you have an image uh that's you know too small and you just need extra extra information, it'll go and generate that information. You just have to describe what's in the photo. Um, and if you give it enough, you can see it's it's just created a whole nother world here yeah and that i can imagine would be extremely useful in
0: something like photoshop for example i mean i could see how you yeah. know extending images um that could be a perfect addition i mean in my own work actually i can immediately see a number of different um applications that would come in handy that it would actually it, in fact it would save me so much time having to you know artificially recreate those myself
1: and so this capability already is in Photoshop through these plugins. Hmm. Um, with stability, the stability plugin, you can use Dolly to extend the image. Oh, right. Okay. Um, and Flying Flying Dog also has that capability. Um, and I'll go ahead and show you for example. Flying Dog bases a, a five twelve by five twelve. Um, I think I can probably get it to do larger. Yeah, we'll do ten twenty four. So go no point. Let's just grab this area here, and we'll just tell it to. Me. And I'm not sure if this is going to work. So we might have to just cut this part out because it's been it's been a little it's been a little problematic lately. But you can see I'm typing in "epic photograph of a Norwegian." Fjord. Um, we can add more details here to the information that we wanted to do. I'm going to have it give me maybe four steps, and let's see if it works. So I'm taking this into uh, Photoshop and using the Flying Dog plugin here to generate some more aspects to our image. I've, I've added the prompt. I put photograph of a Norwegian fort, and hopefully this will work this time. We'll see if it comes up and it hits the information. You can tell it's processing right here. And yeah, it's going to add uh, sections to our Fjord. You can see sometimes it's adding watermarks and, and signatures already, but um, you know what, this is pretty cool. Let's grab that right there. And now you can see, here's our image now. We've expanded the image quite a bit. And it looks, it looks great. We could just keep going, we could add more to it, but you can see how easy that was. So this is the Flying Dog plugin from. Uh, can we call Flying Dog? Uh, not every every aspect is available in each of these uh, plugins, and you're going to have to kind of learn how they work. Um, and we can we can talk about that too down below if
0: we're interested. Sure. And of course, if you're interested in those plugins,
1: then we'll put the links to that in the description um, as well. So the current processes for artificial intelligence image generation are are shown here. Um, Let's see if I can get this to pop this populate. So text to image. So this is sort of a vocabulary for folks. Text to image means you're taking a a text prompt, you're typing in the text and you're creating an image from that text prompt. Image to image, uh, this is taking an existing image and then you're adding text to the image to give it a different look. So we're gonna change the style of that image by adding the image, Telling it what we want to see changed, and then it will do that for us. In painting, which is sort of a uh, content-aware fix on steroids, uh, rather than just fixing an image, you can actually add image objects or images into it. For example, if you have a pirate and you want to add a, uh, a parrot on his shoulder, you can do that. Um, and then out painting, which is what I just showed in uh, in Photoshop and in Dolly, is where you take an existing image and you can expand the border. So it's sort of a content-aware fill or a content-aware addition. Uh, again, on steroids, it's it's a much more uh, advanced version of that. So, those are sort of the uh, four different processes that are involved right now. There are more coming as we talk, uh, as we discuss this. There are more uh, advances coming out as we speak. So, with text images, is you're just taking a text prompt and you're creating an image with it. For example, this is an image from Mint Journey, and the text prompt was high resolution cyberpunk woman. Portrait, neon, lighting, depth of field. And you can see it created this pretty wild image here. Um, I can uh, add some details to it. For example, here I've added by Albert Bierstadt. So I'm asking for a painting um, done by this specific artist. And you can see it's created a completely different, but yet fantastic image. And now here's a painting of a high resolution Cyberpunk woman portrait, et cetera, et cetera, by Titian. And you can see we have a completely different. Uh, very stylistic, almost, uh, almost a uh, sort of a, almost a, a painted image with you know sort of abstract lighting to it. It's, it's got a, it's got a nice feel to it. It's yeah. incredible how realistic those look. Yeah, you can get just amazing stuff out of this. Um, and this is Journey. Let's get the hit. So each of the three products: uh, Journey, Dolly, and Stable Diffusion. Produce different results. For example, here's a chimpanzee wearing a spacesuit. Um, here's this cyberpunk woman again with three different versions. Uh, and then this is another world very close to ours that we do not perceive directly, but they interact sometimes. Painting by Thomas Cole. So you can see you can create sort of abstract concepts within this, and it will generate these images for you. I can already hear the
0: discussions in like camera club uh, photo competition guidelines and
1: rules. <laughs> think- yeah, in fact, uh, there was a, an image recently that was um, selected as a, it, I think it was in the Denver, one of the state fairs and they selected an AI graded image as their, their blue ribbon winner and there was a lot of anger about this because it, it, was it wasn't a photograph, it wasn't a painting, it was an AI image and I think I think there's some, I think there's some validity to being unhappy that an AI image Won that at this point because it's just literally typing in and coming up with something, um, and so you're less of an artist, is more of you know, poetry, and creating text prompts than you are actually doing anything to the image itself. Um, so I, I think there's power in 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 using those images for something else. Do you remember not too many years ago there was um there was an image that one I, I want to say
0: it was a Sony photographic uh like competition or something. It was an image that basically was it showed a, a bit of sky shot through like an internal staircase I think and at the top of it was a plane and it turns out the plane which was perfectly positioned in the center of the image had actually been photoshopped in, and there was this big hoo-ha about whether you know the the award should be you know taken back or whatnot um, and, and all of that I mean it seems like the incredible child's play now in comparison to what's possible today. Do you think that we're sort of on the brink of something that's that's it feels very much like, you know, when film photography gave way to digital, and there was this like, you know, this this massive break in how we take pictures and what we can do with them afterwards, and uh, you know, in, in the way that we can manipulate them and also and all that sort of stuff. Does it, uh, it seems to, I mean, to me, it feels almost like we're at an, at another sort of breaking point like that.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I especially think it, the speed at which things are moving too. I think is, is is an interesting interesting thing. You know, from from film to digital took several years. It took almost a decade to go from you know direct film to usable digital. I remember I was working at a company in the early '90s that we got a, we got a digital camera and its 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 quality was like three twenty by three twenty. Yeah. And I mean, right, <laughs> yeah. it, it's nice, but you're not going to print this. You're not going to use it for anything.
0: One point one megapixels. And then we
1: went. Yeah, exactly. And, and then we jumped, you know, we jumped to 640 by 640. Wow, that's a shit, twice a jump, but that took like two years. Well, with, with AI, we've gone from interesting artistic images to photorealistic images in like 60 days. Um, so I think we're going to see an exponential advancement, a continual exponential adva- advancement in this technology over the next couple of years. Um, I think we are going to be to a point where... You know, right now, if you generate a, a picture of a person in Midjourney or a Dolly, um, it's going to look good, but you're going to see details like they're going to have beat fingers, they're going to have uh, hands that are all squished together. That's that's yeah. the one of the big jokes is that oh yeah, it's going to take over our jobs, but we'll just shows all these hands and their show.
0: I did I, I, I did like experience that because I had a, I had a little play with that earlier myself. You know, I was prepping for this episode, and that's what I noticed it was very it's a very deformed hands there. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's still not quite there, but I think as time progresses, you can tell they'll be able to identify those issues within the the AI and tell it, hey, human beings only have five hands or five figures. You now, hide five hands. Human beings only have five fingers and it'll be able to generate exactly five fingers per hand. And I don't think we're too far from that. Um, I think a lot of the naysayers are going, you know, there's there's no use for this. I think I, I I think there's gonna be a lot of use for this. And I don't think it's going to take the job of photographers i think it's going to make our jobs uh more interesting especially for composite artists and for those of us who are, are are into that already i think you're going to see more compositing tools sort of filtered into say lightroom so there's a lot of folks who just use lightroom and we already see ai being used especially in the newest edition of lightroom where it's doing the uh, the sort of content aware masking which is, is pretty amazing um I don't know if anybody's seen this already. If you go into a photograph of a human being and you tell it um, that you want to do a, a, an advanced portrait in, in Lightroom, it creates all masks. It creates teeth masks, eye masks, pupil masks um, on the fly. And so it's it's already starting to filter in. Yeah. And I think as time progresses, we're going to see even more things filter into, say, Lightroom and into Photoshop.
0: Yeah, it's it's just talking about, you know, the, the face um, or person recognition um, and so face or body detail uh, recognition um in the latest light. I just uh, you know, I recently shot a um like a family portrait session. um and I have to say, you know, I kind of I took that as a as an opportunity to just see if I could use that in in editing and speed up the process. and I can't tell you how much time I've saved, you know, not having to mask things out individually, but just to, and it was so good. I mean, it was so good. it's I just couldn't believe it. It was incredible it's it saved me i would say i mean i probably retouched about 30 shots which if you have to individually retouch them you know 30 family shots with multiple people in the image that's going to take you a decent chunk of time you know to right. to do that i did the whole thing in probably an hour flat and that's you know that was that was just incredible and then i could go back and watch netflix it was perfect
1: I can remember several years ago at an Adobe Conference we were watching the keynote and they were showing us um it might have been sneaks and they were showing us content aware feel uh, content aware fill. And it was the first time they had shown this and demonstrated it for the public. And all of us photographers there were just blown away that that we could, you know, remove objects and people and things from a photo in an instant and we're all kind of whispering to one another our jobs or you know, this is this is the end of our jobs, you know, people are gonna be able to do this themselves. Well, not really. Um, and the content art fill is good, but it's not perfect. Um, and then, you know, years later, we got, uh, you know, the object the selection tool. We're all sitting in there watching this object selection tool. If you just click a button, your object selected. We're like, oh, this is this is the end of our jobs. Well, if anybody's used the object selection tool, it's good. It's quite good. It's not perfect. And if you're doing a, a real fine-tuned composite, you're going to want to get in there and clean that up yourself. In fact, I find quite often the object selection tool is more of a hindrance because what it does is it ends up going to be jaggy lines and only a person. And I really don't want that. I mean, one of the things about Photoshop in particular
0: is that there are so many different methods of removing just about anything. And it really depends on the situation and the scenario as to which of those methods actually works best. Or very often it's a combination of those methods that will give you like, you know, the perfect end results. Um, and I mean that's true for just object removal uh, but it's that's equally true for you know retouching particular aspects of the face for example of the skin you know bags under the eyes there's a there's about 50 different methods as to how you can do each 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 one of those tasks but it just really depends on the image and the situation and the desired end result that's that's ultimately it's the other thing that you, as a retoucher you have to think about what is the end result supposed to be what it is what's the purpose, you know is it going to be, you know a a billboard or is it going to be you know a, a ninety by ninety pixel email signature image, and that will very much determine what method. And at what speed, <laughs> you know you you basically go through uh, go through the retouching that, that's, you know and um, but. You know Adobe's latest tools, both both in Lightroom and in Photoshop. I, I have to say, you know, they they help me as a as a photographer to s- speed up the process, and it means that you know I can get through that retouching work quicker. And it from a, purely from a business perspective, it simply means I can then focus on my business. Actually, you know, for example, and do other things.
1: Or for me. You know, in my in my day to day job, uh, my nine to five job, I do I do graphic design for a you know, a sleep products retailer here in California. So we 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 sell mattresses and furniture and that sort of thing. And one of the things I've had a, a real issue with is finding stock images that are um, exactly what I want to show. Uh, for example, a lot of stock images will show a nice bedroom, but then there's, you know, some outdated furniture in the picture or there's a, a, an animal or a person on the bed. And I might, I might not necessarily want to show that. Um, so what I've started doing is I've actually started going into MidJourney and Dali and, and generating bedroom images with just a bed um, in the image uh, or just in a certain aspect. And the great thing is, is that I can change the lighting. If I don't like that image and I want different lighting on the image, I can just tell it, hey, um, change this lighting, use a diff- slightly different lighting. I can use the same image and change it. Um, it it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing, amazing tool. And so I see this for uh, photographers and for, for artists, compositors, as becoming uh, a very useful tool in the toolbox, like content-aware fill or like, you know, object selection tools. Less than a, a, something that's going to ruin our lives. Um, and i think that's sort of the way to look at absolutely i totally agree i mean content of our
0: is actually a really good example i mean they use that literally on a daily basis um and i I remember actually not too long ago i came across it was probably one of the early Flurn videos or something on youtube uh where you know which was all about like you know object removal and and how to like remove objects in the background and then repaint a photorealistic you know i don't know street curb or something like that. And the amount of work that I had to go into that and the amount of time that it took to do that um, was just incredible. Whilst now I just go, oh hey, yeah, there's a thing, content aware fill, by <laughs> You know, and you're yep. like, it's, uh, you know, it's a, uh, yeah, it's a tool. Why wouldn't, why would you want to use that tool?
1: You know? Yeah. And I see AI, uh, especially this this latest generation, and I see when, when uh, Adobe starts to incorporate this into sort of content aware fill. I think it's going to be even more powerful because it takes it it takes a look at what's going on around it and rather than just repeating patterns that already exist on your photo it's going to create patterns that don't exist on your photo or that mesh together with your phone perfectly and i think that's going to blow us away and it's going to give us more power in 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 updating things um i mean we can already select a background and tell it to blur the background and it looks okay you know it's not quite doesn't really quite get that sort of depth of field that we're after it looks pretty good well, with generative tools now, you can tell it to create the same image, but with a depth of field, and it will do that for you. And it will probably nail the depth of field better than you could have done uh, with any other tool within Photoshop. So I see that this tool is coming, and uh, and, and it's here to some extent, uh, and, and it's, it's good. It's a good thing, um, and it's not something to be feared as much as it is something to be learned about, and, and I'm hoping that as time progresses... Adobe and these other companies will make it much more accessible because right now it's still a sort of techie and you have to be a bit of a geek to get these things installed and running on your system. Yeah.
0: And that's because, you know, Adobe is not the only um, company that that uh, really heavily is sort of going into, you know, getting into AI. Um, uh, Skylum is another thing that's, you know, that's that's really impressed me. Um, I had, um, had a bit of a play with uh, Skylum Neo at the, at the photography show. And one of the things I really like there, and although I'm not a wedding photographer, but I can see how this is a, is a super useful tool. Um, it's this thing whereby you basically load several thousands of your images into the AI. It analyzes your editing style, and then it basically, you know, reimagines your editing style and you know and and, and edits your your latest I don't know wedding that you've shot, you know, in your style. Or in fact, in the style of just about any other photographer that you want to edit in, because that's another right. thing you do, um, you know, and, uh, and it takes into account your your color grading, you know, the way you pr- you prefer to crop, you know, all that kind of stuff, the things that you like to f- that you typically focus on, and it literally you know edits your photos for you in absolutely no time at all. And if you anybody who's ever shot a wedding, you know, you're you're looking at thousands of images. Edit, you know how much time that takes. You know, and then I'm not saying it's necessarily the the the, the end result is necessarily 100 percent perfect, but it saves you so much time because all you got to do is go through those images and then make make some final adjustments here and there, and you know, and it, it saves you so much time. You know, we've been doing this actually, you know, for 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 a decade or something with presets in Lightroom, for but, example. You know, I do that all the time. I create. Uh, for a particular, let's take a particular event shoot, for example, I've got, let's say, 800 images to get through. You know, I first of all, I create a particular look um, that I generally want to achieve across the board with the event that I've shot. And that's that then acts as a basis, but it has all the base manipulations um, baked in already. So I don't have to constantly, I don't know, roll back the reds, and you do that on every image. It it basically is essentially, let's create it all of those um uh, all of those settings already, and it just saves me a ton of time when I then go through each image because then I really just have to do some very basic things, like adjust the exposure, you know change a couple of things, and then I'm on to the next image. So yep. you know, we've been using those techniques in a sense forever already. This is just the
1: next step indeed. And with artificial intelligence, Taking that even to another level, there's a a new product available called Dream Booth, which is still sort of at a a more technical level. But you're able to take all of your photos, pump them into the uh, system now, Stip Fusion, and output images based upon your style. Um, uh, One of the folks who I was following um, in one of the forums was he actually works for, I think he works for a company called Rivian, which is a a new uh, automotive manufacturer. They make these really interesting electrical vehicles. And, uh, I'm going to share my screen here and show you what he did. He created images based upon the products that his company uses. And these are all AI generated images that he created from that data set that he gave to the system. Um, uh, so these, these aren't photos. Nobody else went out to the woods and actually took those or to the beach and took these photos. He generated these and, um, you know, they're not quite perfect yet. As you can see, the direction this is headed. And um, that is kind of scary. I think, um, you know, not not having to hire a photographer and get them on set. I think there is some some fear there. But uh, I think there's a lot of potential as well uh, to save time. Uh, you know, if one of the things I've been doing in my, you know, my artwork, as I was telling you, is I was using some stock photos that um, they weren't quite perfect. I was having to edit them. And so rather than edit photos, I just went into... So these images were generated by Midjourney, and they're pretty good. Now, the great thing is in, in Instagram, at an Instagram resolution, you're not gonna be able to notice that if you zoom in here, no, nothing that's actually on this table makes sense. <laughs> not, none of this actually is, is anything you'd actually have anywhere in it. And you know, so there's some, what's going on with this window, right? But at a quick glance on Instagram or uh, you know on, on social media, you know if I'm just showing you this much of the image, it's going to work fine. Um, it, it, it looks good enough at at a distance. So so that's that's one of the other cool things I could do with this is that you know I if I need specific images, I can go in and at least try to get them out of the uh, the AI and then edit them yeah. even further if necessary. Fantastic. So where's this
0: where's this going to take us in the future though? That's that's what I want to know.
1: Oh well. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> um, I actually have a bit of data on that and uh, I I can show you some of this. Um, and this is actually still uh, two months old and, and that may not sound like a lot, but in reality, two months in this space is, is forever. Uh, what's next? Yeah, what's next? Where is this going? Video. So right now you're able to take um, a frame from an artificially generated image and basically morph it to another one and then morph it to another one and morph it to another one. As you can see, we can create these pretty uh, artistic images and videos that, that morph from image to image. Uh, we can now take images from uh, these artificial intelligence and then rotoscope them using a product called uh, EBSent. And so we can take a, an actual video, and then we can actually take something and rotoscope an image on top of it. So in this case, we've rotoscoped a, a, a alabaster, a painting, yeah. or in the last case here, he's created a zombie. Uh,
0: we, we're seeing a lot of
1: that um, at the moment in in the form of deep fakes. Yes. And so this is going to get even even more intense because we won't necessarily have to deep fake someone that already exists. We'll okay. be able to deep fake someone who doesn't exist and create a completely new actor. Um, the next step, of course, is going to be three dimensionals. Well, if you can generate a single dimension of one of these images, there's no reason you can create all three sides of the image and then even generate an output of a uh, a three-dimensional file. So I think I think the technology is there to do a whole lot more already. Stable Diffusion 1.5 was just released. Um, it's got mixed reviews, although I think there's a lot of good information there. Um, the in painting model is much better, which means you can select a portion of the image and add to it really easily. Um, the company Stability AI and Runway, which is another company that worked together, there was some drama between them, but that's all gotten worked out. As I mentioned before, uh, you need. There's several different ways to access uh, these data sets and these applications. There's the web version that you can access, which is pretty straightforward and everybody can probably access uh, Dolly or Mid Journey or Stability UI through the web or through Discord. Or if you're interested, you can actually get uh, the the plugins for Photoshop for Stability AI and for Dolly, um, either through Christian Cantrell or Flying Dog, both of which are available on the Adobe Exchange. The last way to actually do this is to go to Stable Diffusion uh, or or Google Stable Diffusion GitHub and you can download one of the many, there's a lot of different models of Stable Diffusion that you can download, install on your own personal computer and run locally. Now it requires a bit of geekiness and a little bit of programming language and so that's kind of outside the scope of a lot of folks. but you can generate very quickly images and it won't cost you anything because you're doing it on your own personal computer. So that's one of the big, the big advantages to being able to install this locally is that it's not going to cost you anything. Just about every other interface that you encounter will cost you something. Mid Journey requires a, at least a $10 a month purchase, um, for, for more than a few images per month. Dolly also requires credit purchase. Um, uh, so there's going to be some, some money involved with these. If you download one of the open-source diffusion GitHub versions, install it on your computer, you can then integrate that into the flying dog application on your own PC and run it through Photoshop constantly, generating as many images you want all day long. The one caveat to that kind of installation is that you're going to require you to have a, um, currently, an NVIDIA RTX 2060 or better video card, Um, And currently it only works on NVIDIA video cards. Um, And so I would recommend that you have at least eight gigs of video RAM. Um, And the more RAM, the better. Because the more RAM you have, the bigger image you can create. And the better video card you have, the faster it'll create. So those are sort of your two, two caveats. Now, they do have stable diffusion that will run on M1 and M2 Macintoshes. Um, so you have to go and Google for that specific instance, and you can download that and run that locally. Um, it is fairly slow right now compared to uh video card, but that's getting better every day, and there are things that we can do to optimize that down the road. Um, so if you're if you're a Macintosh owner, which most photographers I know are, um, you're going to want to look into either the web-based applications, or you're going to want to download the M1 or N2 specific. If you have an older Mac, you're out of luck. You're going to have to use the web-based application hey. or the Discord-based app. That said, they still provide a very interactive and easy to use experience compared to sort of being the local install.
0: I'm guessing the uh, my 2011 MacBook Pro isn't going to cut it. Not going to cut it. In <laughs> fact, you're
1: probably going to grind that thing to a halt just trying. Yeah, yeah
0: well, I think I'm grinding this to a halt
1: just uh, just using Zoom <laughs> these days. Yeah, I you know my computer, my my I'm a Windows user. Right. And uh, I have a, a fairly powerful uh, photographic computer with a lot of RAM and a, and a pretty massive video card, and I cannot do stable diffusion on it. So I've actually had to buy a laptop, and then I'm actually running the Zoom on my laptop because it actually has a, a a 3050 with four gigs of video RAM, so it's just enough to run it. Um, I could produce one image at a time, and a 512 by 512, but I can still do it. So it's pretty useful. So there's one other application that I think folks should know about, and, uh, and I mentioned it before, and it's called NVIDIA Galgen 2, and it's a website that folks can go to, um, and it's also an application for Windows, and uh, I'll show you the Windows application because I think it's pretty phenomenal at what it can do, um, and this is a, it, an example of what's called image-to-image image, um, artificial intelligence, and you can see my screen okay now? So um, it kind of works like Photoshop. We have layers, and we have a palette, of panel here, so we can actually select. Uh, let's go ahead and create. This is always this is what I always do. I go on and I create a, an ocean. I'm gonna grab this little tool right here, which is a line tool, and I'm gonna create an ocean right here. And I'm gonna go ahead and fill the ocean. And look, we already have an ocean sold here. Oh, you know what? This really needs rocks. We really needs some rocks. Let's go add some rocks in our ocean. So I'm going to go to another layer. Oops, that's not what I wanted to do. Those variations. i actually one of the brush size, which is over here. I'm going to add a layer. And on this new layer, I'm going to add some rocks. And I'm going to paint right here on the image. And we could leave that arch rock there. That's kind of cool, huh? or let's go ahead and fill it and see what we get. So this looks like suddenly we're on the California coast we can add a layer and we can add some sand along this beach here and we can even go in here we can add like a little pathway here and if we wanted we could put you know let's uh little puppy clouds And uh, as Bob Ross might say, how about a little happy tree right here. So you can see just right there, this is image to image. I have a very simple image over here that I've created. And with that simple image, I can create this and then I can just add variations to it. Almost infinite. I can even upload my own photos as I've done here and add variations to those. Yeah, phenomenal. That's pretty substantial. That's phenomenal. I like that. Yeah, that's a pretty good image right there. So uh, these are 1024 by 1024. Um, and this is still technically a beta, even though it's been out for about two years now. Yeah. But, you know, as far as AI goes, I just find this so compelling. It's just so much fun to draw on the screen and have it immediately create things. And so you could create wild stuff out of this, like as I was showing you earlier with, uh... let me keep going creative. A hole right in the middle of our... Yeah, and it's instant. It's instantaneous, yeah. So, this is running on Windows. This is a Windows application, but for Mac users and for folks who don't have enough of the RAM, you can go and run this on the web. Just look for Galgan 2. And it'll run just fine on the web. Uh, and it's got some of the same interface. I don't think it's got the layers, but it works just the same. And it's quite, uh, quite phenomenal. It's a lot of fun to play with. There's a 360 version. Uh, which allows you to make 360 uh, panoramic images, and then I also read that they're creating a new version, which will actually incorporate um, objects and other things into the system, and it's going to be even better and better. So Nvidia is working hard on this, and they're really at the forefront. I actually got to talk to the AMD company at the Adobe Max, so that I kind of showed them some of the stuff I was doing with the Nvidia cards, and going, "Hey guys, you got to step up here." Um, and they said that they are working on um, similar products down in the future, right. and we probably will start seeing some connection there soon.
0: You know, whenever okay. something happens in stills photography, I think the next step, and this this comes with sort of you know an advance in computing power and so on and so forth, is you know we see things like that in in the moving image, you know, in video, for example. Um, that'll be, I think that'll that'll be the next the next step in that. Because, I mean, we, we already, you know, we are already used to um, CGI and computer generated uh, imagery in movies, for example, but this technology will make that a hell of a lot easier to do.
1: Yeah, I can see folks uh, uploading uh, their own styles and images and characters into uh, one of the the engines. And then having it generate three-dimensional or having it generate animations of that person doing things. And we're already seeing this, if you go on Twitter and you search for some of these animations, you'll start to see them. They're getting better and better and better every day. And as those image sets increase and as that data gets better, um, you're just going to see a refinement of, of that product. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, maybe maybe somebody can make Princess Leia look more photorealistic than... Like Princess Leia? <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> see. Yeah, see, it's funny you say that. My wife and I, we actually, uh, we've been watching the Andor series and uh, she didn't remember Rogue One. Right. So we started up Rogue One and we got to that point and she's like, you know, that kind of looks like her. I'm like, yeah, kind of, but we could actually make it. No, I, I was, there was a fellow on that YouTube who was doing deep fakes, and he was doing a really nice image tests with the deepfakes. But I think with AI now, he would be even better. So Yeah, we did. Because
0: Rogue One came out in 2016, 2017, something like that. So the technology has, like, you know, it has come on in, in leaps
1: and bounds since then, you know? Yeah, I still remember we, we were watching uh, watching it last night. Grand Moff Tarkin is very computer-looking, um, very plasticky. I think it was pretty amazing at first on the screen, um, but I think, you know, now that it's... We've had time to see what else can be done, and still it's very plasticky. I would love to see that redone, just that section. Yeah. Um, and knowing Lucas, that'll probably happen, but yeah. we'll see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've been I've been
0: uh, really into the Endor series. So it was a bit of a, a bit of a slow start on the series, and then it really kicked off.
1: Actually, yeah, my yeah, we were watching it, and I I really enjoyed it because I, I love sort of I'm I'm a big fan of British murder mysteries, and especially the old episodic ones where you know you had an entire mystery in a single episode, rather than the you got to watch eight episodes to get the mystery over with. And I don't mind that, but I kind of like the older ones. So um, for me, watching Andor is kind of like, oh, I know where this is going. This is great. I love this. And my wife's going, I'm boring. I don't want to watch any more of this. So I said, stick with it. We got to you know the third and fourth episode, and now we're we're hooked. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, this exactly the same happened to me. My wife actually gave up uh, probably about after the first episode. She was like, oh, I don't know. She's a big, she's a massive sci-fi fan. You know, I'm lucky enough that i've I've married a I've married a woman who, you know, whenever it's like, hey, do you want to watch a movie? She goes like, does it have spaceships in it? Yes, okay. <laughs> I did. <mean, laughs> <awesome. laughs> you know, great. But yeah, and she was a, she's a massive Star Wars and Star Trek fan. But um, and like she was uh, she's a bit like, oh, I'm not sure. It's a bit slow. And then um, you know I kept watching. You sort know, of three episodes in, and I said to sort of like, like, this is really kicking off. Like, you gotta, you gotta love it.
1: I like I like simply the fact that like like Rogue One. It's a very serious series. Uh, there's not a lot of uh, you know Ewok sort of funniness in it. It's it's intended for an adult viewer who's able to follow a long difficult storyline. Um, and we don't see a lot of famous people in it, even though we're hearing a lot. And by famous, I mean you know, we don't have any of the the original Star Wars folks, except for you know Mon Mothma and a couple of the others uh, mentioned in there. And I just kind of love it. I love the. I also love the fact that in this, the empire is not the comical, um, at least in the newest movies, you know, the empire or the empire, the new empire, whatever it is, the first you know, order or whatever, they're they're comedians. I mean, they're, they're emo comedians, but they're terrible. I mean, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a Mitchell Webb skit, you know, are we the baddies? I mean, that's how bad they are. You know. Um, but in this, it's like yes, there's this huge bureaucracy, and it's an evil bureaucracy. But they think they're doing good, and I I really enjoy that. I, I think it's uh, I think it's extremely well written and well done. Yeah, have you uh, have you had a chance to see the uh, the series, the the Expanse? Uh, yes, so um, I think
0: I'm one season behind, but yeah, we've really got into the Expanse as well. Yeah,
1: yeah, I I have decided that it is my favorite sci-fi series of all time, and. <laughs> I'm a big sci-fi fan, so that's, I know a lot of people who hate, you know, they, they saw that first season and just, they, they were turned off. But for me, uh, there's a scene in that first season where, you know, they, they've just passed a, an SOS beacon. And the guy decides he has to, he decides that he's going to turn the ship around and go back. And it's going to take him three days to get there. And I'm like, awesome. That makes complete sense. And my wife's like, why can't they just zoom there like Star Trek? And I'm like, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, yeah in real exactly, spacious. yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, The Expanse
0: is really uh, is really cool. My wife actually, incidentally, is a massive fan of The Expanse as well. So yeah, we we enjoyed that. There's been a few um there's been a few series uh, lately that we've really gotten into uh, because you know it's this is a very much
1: a sci-fi household. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, you know it's it's good and bad. I feel like there's there's good stuff like The Expanse and Andor, and then I feel that. Um, there's other stuff that where IP is getting you know, intellectual uh, property is getting taken and they're they're flipping it and they're turning it into something else. And I'm not necessarily happy with that. I'm not really happy with what's going on with Rings of Power. I'm really not happy with the Wheel of Time series. But you know, I I'm old school. I read the books, so I kinda wanna see my favorite stuff turned into movies rather than someone else's vision for that book. So Yeah, Race of Power pa- it's a
0: different taste. Yeah, Rings of Power was um Which book? I was sort of, I don't know, I was kind of on the fence with it. Um, I thought the first, especially the first episode was cringe-worthy. It's like, I, I actually, I almost refused to watch any any further. It's my wife that, that kind of convinced me to carry on watching. It did get better. I thought, you know, once you get over the, like, wow, why is everything so politically correct in here? What's going on? <laughs> like, this is too much, you know? Um uh, yeah, but what I think once once you get past that, then and you get into the story, then it it actually does get better. There's there's a there's a funny thing that happens yeah. here. Um, but whatever we watch to here, my, my wife went to film school, and uh, she her thing is script writing, so she comes from the like you know the dialogue and the the script kind of you know that's her that's her angle, and you know I'm a very visual person, so I look at the color grading and the you know the special effects and the rendering and like you know the, the way stuff's lit, you know, and it's always the same thing. It's always like me going like, "Wow, look at that! That's freaking awesome! Look at the, look at how the the backlighting is incredible!" And she goes like, "Yeah, but the dialogue shit."
1: It's like, oh, God god. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, so I,
1: I yeah, my my wife and I kind of do that as well. I, I especially find you know I like uh, like the the last Star Wars film. I mean, uh, the the three the three of the newest Star Wars films I thought were. uh uh, cinematic cinematically they were really well done i thought they were beautiful but i hate them with a fervor they were the the script was terrible the storyline was ridiculous and um and, and it just it, it was a bit of a, you know it's it's one of those things where i was like oh let's watch this again and i'm like yeah i can't i can't bring myself <laughs> yeah. to
0: do it it's just too much of a
1: betrayal yeah
0: the, the storylines are really jumbled in this this, is, this that's the problem with it it just doesn't make a lot of coherent sense you know um in the original trilogy, there was a sense of discovery all the way through. You right. discovered the universe in a way. Um, the problem with the latest trilogy was that the universe already exists because unlike the the prequels, which in my view looked terrible, you know, because the CGI just really wasn't... I mean, it was great at the time, but it, when you look... I mean, they're like, how old? 25 years old now? 20 years old? Something like that. Yeah. Keep or take. Yeah, You know... Um, so the, the problem with the, the latest trilogy is just simply that they've, on one hand, they've they've gone back to that rough and ready time in that universe where everything's a bit broken, everything's a bit ramshackle, you know, everything's a bit dirty. Which I love, I love that about the original trilogy. The fact that the spaceships weren't clean, where they were like all messed up, you know. Um, and that's that was my main criticism with the, the the prequels. It's like this isn't Star Wars, but everything's new. What the hell's going on? you know, this isn't cool but, but but the problem is is that we already know that that universe because of the the original trilogy and now we're back in there so so it, it's not it's, it's not a matter of discovering that universe anymore now it's a matter of of storyline and it was so important to have a really coherent storyline um and th- the problem with that is because you've got this ensemble cast of multiple characters You have to you have to basically track these different story arches that need to make sense in the way that they intersect, and uh, and that was a problem from a from a writing perspective. And that uh, you know, and uh, the the fact that they just dropped in you know old characters like Han Solo and they kill him off like a few scenes later, it just seems like well he was just why was he in there? It doesn't make any sense. And that happened. He was just there because that's who he is. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just because, like, oh yeah, we we just get some you know fans of the
1: original trilogy on board with us, you know. And it was like, "Mm, okay, no, you know, that's kind of where I I think that's one of the reasons. I think that's one of the reasons *Mandalorian* and *In Rogue One* and *Andor* have worked so well is because we're exploring a universe we already know, but we're seeing aspects of it that we haven't known, and we're not necessarily having a time. We're not. We're not beholding to. We've got to show this cast person this time, and we've got to we've got to have this robot say something funny at this time. Instead, it's this is how it would be if this actually happened. I think Mandalorian, you know, Mandalorian went a little overborne with the cuteness of Grogu, uh, but hey, it, you know, who doesn't love a, a tiny little Yoda? He's great. Um, and then, you know, what? It, yeah, exactly. Right there he is. I love him. Um, and then with with Andor, you know, we're seeing. I, I mean, for me. It, the Andor, I'm almost liking Andor more than Mandalorian now, simply because I feel like the Andor feels like that could have really happened. That feels real to me. So you know what's really clever about this? And this is the thing I love. When I first saw, or
0: when I first heard that they're making Rogue One, when you know, when I first, like about two years before it actually came out, it was the first, you know, first news that they were going to take that part of the storyline, and they're going to expand on that. And I thought, that's genius because that is the thing you know with the rebels i mean it's just a throwaway comment you know uh you know some some rebels have managed to get hold of the plans for the for the death star it's a throwaway thing you right. take it for granted and then in the original trilogy the storyline progresses to take that bit and turn that into an expansion of the of the universe makes perfect sense it's a stroke right. of a genius but it's actually it makes perfect sense, and it's it's a perfect angle. That's why you know when Rogue One came out, and it's um, it was you know we were back in this in the dirty part of the of the universe, but it was an expansion of it, and virtually none of the with the exception of Darth Vader at the very end, you know none of the characters were known in any way. But you just it was that, that's where you really rediscovered a side Maybe. of Star Wars that you didn't know, but it just worked perfectly.
1: Yeah, and I think even, you know, we go back and we talk about some of the politically correct stuff. Even Rogue One, uh, not Rogue One so much, Ian Doerr has a clear political message, um, which is that, you know, fascist governments are uh, overbearing and inefficient and eventually fail under their own weight. And and you're seeing that. And I think they are doing a great job of telling us this and showing us this without having to tell us out front and beat us over the head with it which I feel is is sort of the modern way of doing uh, philography, you know, script writing is we have to we have to shove this political viewpoint in there and then we have to make it clear that it's the political, political viewpoint and then we've got to make sure everybody knows and reinforce the viewpoint and it's like, guys, you know, we got it the first time it's okay. And, and I talk about, I talk with my wife about this I say, it's okay if you want to bring this point in organically through the story, but as soon as you have to sort of break out from the story and then Give me a sermonette on your on your political point, you've lost, yeah, latest because you've broken the story. latest you've... the latest season of stranger things. That's all I'm saying.
0: Oh my God, like uh, that was there was never ending.
1: <laughs> you know that yeah. point okay. yeah, you know the same thing. I listen to a lot. I listened to a lot of uh, audiobooks, and i and I there was one I got about twenty maybe a half an hour into, and then the the act the the reader, the the author breaks out of the story. Has one of the characters basically lecture me on a, a very twenty twenty first century viewpoint, and I'm like, you know, it, it would have be been fine if you had just kind of mentioned it and organically said these people are together for this reason. Like, I'm happy with that, but the fact that you had to have a character lecture me on your your political viewpoint from this this is a medieval story and this is a very twenty first century viewpoint. It doesn't for me. It's fine to have, but yeah, you don't have to beat me over the head with. Yeah, it. yeah have but, you seen the Umbrella Academy?
0: Yes, that's it. Was exactly the same thing in the latest season, um, the last season, where like one of the characters, uh, you know, switched from, um, you know, being a being a female character to being a male character. Okay, there was a bit of exposition in the first episode that explained that a little bit. Enough said. Enough said. But then it just went on and on and on and on, and like literally every other scene, we were back there, and it's like. And like in episode four or something, I turned around and said to my wife, I'm "Like, when is this gonna stop?" I mean, I get it, okay, but I don't care. I don't care enough of
1: about it. Right. <laughs> you know, I don't have to yeah. have that ramp down my yeah. throat
0: all the time. I mean, that's just yeah. where the top.
1: I, 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 I'm just not. You know, I'm not. Yeah, I, I guess you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those grumpy old guys, and and it's get off my lawn. But I really feel like you know. I kind of feel the same way with The Witcher to some extent. I love The Witcher. I love the IP. Um, the first couple seasons were rough, but I enjoyed them. Um, and but I see the direction that they're heading. And and um, and 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 this isn't even necessarily political as much as it is just script writing. And it's like the books went this way; we're going to go over here. And. And I'm okay with that to an extent because The Witcher has a deep uh, sort of background. They've got the games, they have the stories, there's a lot of fan relationship to it. Uh, the games sort of expand the universe. Um, so it's okay. Uh, but then you, you've broken the storyline in such a way that I can't imagine how you're going to fulfill the end goal of the books from this. And in the same way I feel with the, with the Wheel of Time. You've broken the story in such a way that I don't really see how that end goal of the storyline is going to get fulfilled by the direction you're heading without firmly breaking what you created. So it, it's just, it's a different way of doing things. Yeah. I mean, for me, the, you know, for me that artificial intelligence is really sort of a, a connection into, you know, the things that I love, the sci-fi and, um, you know, I, I get to, I get to create worlds that don't exist. Uh, my, my, uh, Twitter, my Twitter profile pic is now a monkey in space, a chimpanzee in space that I created all through AI. And I took them into Photoshop and edited them and expanded it. Um, so there's a lot of neat things you can do with this that I think that intersect a lot of the photography um, and filmography worlds and cinematography worlds, and I and I see that just increasing as time progresses. And as we were talking yeah. about, yeah, I definitely really see I definitely really see this becoming a major tool in in, in cinematography.
0: I mean, it certainly you know it has this sort of um, it just reminds me of the holodeck in Star Trek: Next Generation. dear when it, when it first came out, or I was a kid when it first came out, but uh, the whole idea of like you know. Uh, having a holodeck and being able to transport yourself into into any reality you wanted you know that was uh at the at the click of a button basically and just telling a computer um what to do that's really something you know i've always I always thought like wouldn't it be cool if if that would come reality and in in a weird way with ai um uh, that's starting to happen in a in a weird in a weird way because you can see this like expanding you know going you know, like we, like we said, it's going from editing still images to, to videos. Before you know it, it's going to be, you know, virtual reality and, you know, whatever whatever else is happening next. So I can, I can imagine that in the not-too-distant future, you can find yourself wearing some, you know, VR glasses, you know, goggles. You find yourself in a totally photorealistic world.
1: Yeah, and, and there there already are uh, VR plugins uh, coming for Stable Diffusion, and so people are able to create objects and stuff within the VR world through Stable Diffusion. So we're getting very close to that. Um, it's funny you mentioned that because I was uh, there's a uh, application on Steam that you can get for your PC, and you can actually walk around the bridge of the Enterprise and through the entire ship and there's there's portions of the ship and what's really funny is that a section of the ship as you walk into it there's a break in the wall it's actually broken and you look in there and you're looking into the hall you're actually in so you're in the holodeck so it's like you're on a holodeck in a holodeck looking at a holodeck. so i thought that was a a pretty cool reference and and i can see that that the ai is going to take over some of a lot of that that potential there yeah. um so it's an exciting time um scary but exciting yeah it's, as i say the robot overlords are certainly taking over <laughs> My
0: guy it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show it was incredibly interesting and uh you know and I've, I've certainly learned a lot about artificial intelligence when I'm, I'm I'm sure uh you know our listeners and uh, and viewers are going to be as fascinated as they are probably scared by now <laughs> you know? but uh it was amazing having you on the show thank you very much um
1: for coming on and talking to us well okay. bye Thanks thanks a lot for having me on. If folks are more interested in this, I have a a YouTube video that was made back uh, in October. Um, It kind of covers a lot of the same material. It'll go in depth on a lot of things. It'll really explain where to get some of these products and test them out, uh, what the limitations are for October. Um, That's gonna be changing. I'll try and keep that updated as time progresses. Um, I have a feeling that I'll probably have to release a new one in just a few weeks because things are moving so quickly. Absolutely excellent.
0: So this is the end of episode 130 of the Camera Shake podcast. Um, and again, if you are listening to the audio version, especially but well, with all of our episodes, but especially with this one, you know, make sure you head over to YouTube, uh, YouTube.com/slash forward Camera Shake, where you can um, certainly, you know, watch all these amazing AI generated images um, as they appear on the screen. Um, other than that, you know, make sure you get in touch, uh, head us up on Instagram, um, whereas Facebook. All all of the the social media platforms were everywhere. Uh, Anyway, get in touch. It'd be super awesome to hear from you. Um, Micah, it's been an absolute pleasure. And we'll see you again next Thursday.